Due to popular demand, you can subscribe to Kiko's Freethinkers Forum on YouTube. You can watch all of our videos there on our YouTube platform. Now you can also subscribe and listen to any of our audio on Spotify, Anchor, Radio Public, Podvine, Podbean, Amazon, and different platforms. Please tell your friends and family, and I hope you enjoy your day, beautiful people. Good afternoon, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. This is episode 49, and we're joined by a very special guest. Her name is Sarah Walk, and she's the, the executive director of Equal Vote Coalition. And we're going to learn a lot about straw voting. And um, the, the headquarters of Equal Vote Coalition is based in Oregon. And we're going to learn about this organization and what it does and maybe some potential coalition building with other organizations. We have just quite a few questions for Sarah today. But I want to say welcome to episode 49 of Kiko's Freethinkers Forum. And I appreciate you accepting that invitation. Love it. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And thanks for having me. Thanks for taking an interest in voting reform. And I'm excited to, to talk about it. No doubt. And um, I was telling her before we got on the air, I had to rock my Oregon jacket today, my Oregon Ducks jacket. Uh, that's my team. Even though I'm in Tennessee and people are like, oh, Kiko, you're just a bandwagoner. But no, to be honest, I mean, I had the receipts. I mean, I go way back before social media. So I've always had a big, um, I guess, affinity and love for um, West Coast sports. And um, Oregon is a beautiful state I've never been to, but I've heard some great things about Oregon. So I definitely had to make a trip out there one day based on what everyone has said about it. Yeah, come visit in person. Yes, and you are in Eugene right now. That's right. And so are you from Eugene originally? I'm from Portland originally, so I'm more on the Blazers side of things. Oh. But, <laughs> um, yeah, Oregon's a big state. It's a diverse state. It's got a lot of, you know, coast and mountains and valleys and beautiful nature. It's got an urban perspective and a rural perspective. So I think this is a really exciting place to be doing politics from. I actually moved back to Oregon to work on voting reform because this, shockingly enough, is kind of the, the keystone or, or the, the flagship for a lot of voting reform. So Oregon invented the ballot initiative. Oregon invented vote by mail, vote from home. Um, we have motor voter automatic voter registration. And so there's been a lot of work over decades or generations, actually, to create what we call the Oregon model for better elections in general. And we're definitely not there. There are issues with the current system and all sorts of things. But hopefully, we're really hoping to bring voting reform to the Oregon model and star voting in particular so that we have a fully powerful, fully equal vote across the electoral system. Excellent. And um, before we get into um, some of the electoral reforms that um, you propose and just, um, I follow a lot of your videos over the past few months. I actually found out about you through a group called In the Two-Party System on Facebook. That's a mm -hmm. relatively big group that's growing. So shout out to Billy Uku Jr., 
who's the founder of that organization. It's a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C. And um, that's how I found out about Sarah and um, Equal Vote Coalition. But I want to ask, before we even get into that, what is your personal background and what led you from to this point into electoral politics and just this interest? Like that had to, that inspiration had to come from something. Yeah, my story is is interesting and, and eclectic. I think I didn't expect to find myself here doing this work, but I was raised with a strong ethos that whenever we can, if we have any privilege, if we have any ability to step up, that we have a responsibility to try and make the world a better place. So I was really raised with those values and got interested and passionate about a bunch of causes as a kid, as a teenager, um, forestry, clear cutting, um, animal rights, and human rights. And that kind of brought me to the regenerative agriculture movement. I was living in the country and doing a bunch of gardening and that type of thing. And I ended up studying permaculture design, which is kind of a, a system that's usually for for ecology or for like designing homesteads, designing land use and how we can incorporate ourselves into our natural landscape. But the premise of it is to design holistically, to think big picture and to really connect the dots between the different parts of the system. And without without going too off base or off topic into permaculture, which I could talk about for <laughs> hours. Um, that training really just taught me to look at everything as a systems design problem. And politics, collective decision making, and social permaculture, I think is really the next level there because we have what I think everyone can agree is a very broken system that's not working for probably anyone, definitely not for most people. And it is systemic. It's not, um, you know, my actions or your actions or their actions that are creating every single problem along the way. It's a systemically broken model. And so rather than focusing on um, triage, I figured, how do we get to the root of the problem? Are there ways that we can think bigger picture, um, go deeper, and actually design a system that's going to set us all up to succeed? And so that brought me to how do we make decisions? How do we vote? How do we elect people? How do we lead ourselves? And how do we make plans and execute them? So policy. So you've been politically active for a while. And so when when did this become an idea? Like, did you found... Um, Equal Vote Coalition, like how long has Equal Vote Coalition been around? So um, maybe 12, 13, 14 years ago, I was outside my mom's house building her some raised beds and a canvasser came door to door and he had um, some little handouts and he was like, hey, have you heard of ranked choice voting? And I had been talking about this paradigm where we've got this two-party system, and if you don't think that the front runner on your side can win, you need to strategically vote so that your vote has an impact to kind of prevent a worst-case scenario. And that's just always struck me as a really 
fixable and stupid thing. If we have more good guys on our side, that should be a benefit. Normally, the bigger your coalition, the stronger you are. But with our voting method, if we have more candidates on our side, we're more likely to split the vote on our side and end up divided and conquered. So that's just backwards. And he was like, have you heard of ranked choice voting? Here's how it works. Um, he kind of told me the what I now know to be the, is the oversold pitch, which is it eliminates vote splitting. It eliminates the spoiler effect. It's safe to vote your conscience. You won't waste your vote because your vote transfers to your next choice if your favorite can't win. And I was really excited. I decided right then and there that when I got some free time, I was going to work on that cause. And I started doing some reading. Um, well, fast forward a couple of years, I was like, okay, I've got this handout still pinned to my wall. I was like, I'm ready to put in some real time and energy. It was 2016. And I went to my first, um, I went to a meeting of this new group that had just started getting together in Oregon, the Ranked Choice Voting Oregon. And they had a couple of speakers there. So one of them was Mark Fronmeyer, who was the founder of the Equal Vote Coalition. And he had these handouts, he had matching shirts, and he was like, hey, you know, Ranked Choice is cool, but the it's a 150-year-old reform and voting science has come a long way in the last 150 years. So there's simpler, better ways to do what you're trying to do. And so he introduced me to the idea of star voting. And he had founded Equal Vote in 2014 around the idea that we need a voting method that guarantees an equally weighted vote. So we can get into that in a second, but... um. But my gut reaction as a, a ranked choice fan was, you know, we're kind of already on a train. We're going somewhere. We we have a plan. Like, who are you derailing this with this alternate proposal? That sounds counterproductive. And and also, I've read a bunch of stuff, and all your claims are wrong. Um, that's what I said to him at the time. <laughs> to paraphrase. <laughs> To my surprise, you know, some of the people to the left and right of me were like, no, you know, he's right. Ranked choice mitigates vote splitting. It mitigates the spoiler effect. It can still waste votes, maybe even more, but it prevents some of the problems of our current system. And the outcome of that meeting, I had hoped to just like plow forward with ranked choice voting and get a ballot initiative going for Portland. But the outcome was we realized we didn't really have agreement on the facts. And so we didn't have consensus on the proposal. And we figured if we're going to go forward as a movement, it'd be better to have everyone who cares about this on the same page so we can pull together. So I volunteered for a research committee and we launched a public forum on Facebook, Facebook group to kind of hash out and share links and debate and discuss and put together a big research report that is still available on the Equal Vote website, kind of paraphrased under our articles section. It's gotten a few updates since then. But what we ended up finding out was that star voting was the only proposal that really delivered on all of our goals as a movement. So 
then that launched the question of, you know, what is star voting? Um, nobody had heard of it at the time. That was 2016. And so I set out to really build the proposal into something that can be taken seriously. And the election science community has been doing the same thing. So fast forward six years, I think star voting is a real serious contender for better elections across the country for a lot of reasons. Is that when star voting, how long has star voting been around? Because that's the thing when I was um, researching um, the equal vote, I couldn't keep getting straw voting out of, um, I know they're linked together, but their straw voting is like the actual system versus like ranked choice voting. But when did that come into play, the straw voting, um, like that process? Yeah, so star voting is kind of a hybrid of two different methods that came before. There's score voting, which is you score your candidates, say zero through five, and the highest scoring candidate wins. And so score voting is one of the oldest voting methods out there. They used it in ancient Greece for hundreds of years, apparently. And it's just such a common sense system. I think humans have probably been using it since the beginning of time, but, um, and it does a really good job of finding a broad consensus winner with wide support, but, um, and then there's always been this kind of other camp of voting methods, which is like ranked methods where you're ranking first choice, second choice, third choice. And so, Ranked choice voting works with runoffs. You you count only the first choice rankings only, and then figure out which candidate has the least first choice votes and eliminate that candidate. So you're transferring votes, you're doing runoffs, and you're narrowing it down until you have ideally a majority preferred winner. But that has some issues of its own. Um, but the premise of trying to do a runoff, trying to get majority support is a really good idea and it has some advantages. So star voting actually combines those two. And I think it's more than the sum of its parts. So we've got with star voting, it's two rounds only. You don't have to do infinite elimination rounds. And the two highest scoring candidates overall are finalists. And then your vote automatically goes to the finalist you prefer. So the finalist you scored higher gets your one full vote. Your, your ballot counts as your vote. And the candidate preferred by more voters wins. Mm. So um, does that have a meaning to it in itself? The STAR, is that an acronym? Yeah, exactly. So STAR, STAR voting. Um, S-T-A-R stands for score then automatic runoff. And that is exactly how it works. You score the candidates, you have an automatic runoff between those top two, and then you find your winner who's preferred overall. So we say add up the stars, add up the votes, the end. Now see, Jess, it's funny. I've been researching this for a while, but I think when you watch so many videos after a while, it can become a little convoluted. But I think just by you giving that definition of the acronym to the audience, like that makes way more sense. It's very much cut to the chase. 
and and that makes total sense. And I guess having said that, I you know I sent you an email saying like if it's possible for you to supply graphics and stuff, and I was able to look over a few of them um, when you responded to the email. But I think that would be great. Like since I tried to emphasize the YouTube video component more, because mm -hmm. I had a lot of people complaining saying Kiko. Why come you took all your YouTube videos down? And because at one point I did take my whole channel down because of some censorship stuff, which I'm not going to get into. But people who have followed the forum know about it. But I was like, you know what? Maybe I should put these videos back on, you know, YouTube. And so I did. And I'm glad that I have now because it's actually grown so much more doing that because people do like to see the visuals and the videos. And so I definitely want you to kind of guide the audience through this process as far as um, star voting is concerned, because I had like a graphic in my mind when you were um, explaining that then. Yeah, are you seeing that? Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So that's the star voting ballot. And I think it speaks for itself pretty well. Star voting for then automatic runoff. We've got our instructions at the top. So you score candidates from zero up to five stars. You give your favorite five stars. So Andre, he's my man. Then you give your last choice, zero stars. Um, Ella, not a great candidate in my opinion. And then you show your preference order and your level of support. So you really can score candidates however you want. In this case, Carmen and David are also both really good. They're just not my favorite. So I'm gonna give them both four stars. And Blake is kind of my lesser evil. He is not my favorite, but if it came down to him versus Ella, I do prefer him. So star voting, I think the magic of it really is the ballot because the five-star ballot allows you to show who your favorite is, show who your last choice is, show your preference order between the candidates, no matter how many candidates there are with a pretty high degree of resolution. But it also allows us to show that degree of support. So if this was just a ranked ballot, I could say my second choice, there's no way to show if my second choice is as good as my first choice or if they're almost as bad as my last choice. And that's information we really need. So we're able to really see, you know, not only are Carmen and David, you know, tied for my second choice, they're, they're really good candidates. I'm, I would be happy with them. Whereas Blake, not so much. And then star voting. Oh, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 no. Keep going. Yeah. Um, so that's the ballot. That's how you vote. It's very intuitive. There's really no wrong way to do it. And then the way it's counted, again, is a two-step process. So you find the two highest scoring candidates overall, and then your full vote goes to the finalist you prefer. So if it came down to Andre versus Blake in that runoff, my vote would go to Andre. If it came down to Blake versus Ella, my vote would go to Blake. Mm. Interesting. Now, see, I rarely like cut the guest off like that, but I was so excited when I saw this graphic because I have so many questions when I see it. Um, there's a couple of things that really stand out, but before we get into that, I want to say I want to give a shout out to People's Party of Texas, episode 25, because they're the ones that really told me off camera, Kiko, you really need to look into this star voting method, because I, I had heard of it just in passing, 
like I said, because I followed it in the two-party system, but the People's Party of Texas, Athena, OC, and Curtis, they really said, Kiko, you need to look into this like big time. And so that's that's what made me reach out to you. And um, I got to say, so you're saying on this voting method right here, do you have to rate a five from the zero to five? Do you have to rate a zero and do you have to rate a five? If you don't, your vote will still count. It's fine. But that is the instructions. That's how you should vote. Um, you really want to maximize your support for your favorite and it's relative, you know, there might not be any perfect candidate out there, but your first choice is your favorite to give it your full support. It seems way more versatile than anything I've seen because, um, it's not just, um, a ranking you you can see the psychology of the voter. Like for instance, you got two number fours for Carmen and David. Like that, that's almost unheard of in conventional systems, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that show, but that shows like a lot of versatility in the mind when the voters considering a person versus the other. Yeah, and there's been many, many, many decades worth of research on public opinion and surveys and polling and how do we measure a human's opinion on a given topic. And the five-star rating has really come to the top because of its natural, um, it's, it's just a very natural voter experience. So we have, um, in terms of cognitive load, generally as humans, we like to have some choice. We like some variety, but if you give us 80 choices, we're gonna get overwhelmed, we'll get bogged down, maybe we'll even get confused. So it turns out the kind of sweet spot for cognitive load is between like five and seven options. Mm -hmm. And so the five-star rating fits really comfortably within the amount of expression that human opinion just naturally has. And then it allows us to really naturally show you know, who are, who's our favorite, who's our last choice and that degree of support without having to translate it into another format. So, you know, we might like two candidates equally in that case, it could be really hard to figure out who do I rank first or second. If I like them equally, that would be like a strategic calculation the voter has to make. Or if you give candidates a choose one only ballot, like the traditional system, that it's very simple to fill out the physical ballot, obviously, but cognitively, I'm like, if my favorite, if I can only vote for one candidate and my favorite isn't viable, then maybe I should vote for the candidate on my side who I think can win. And that calculation is not only is it mental backflips, it's kind of stressful for voters to have to think strategically like that. But it also has a massive impact in entrenching implicit bias. Mm -hmm. So if I have to vote for the candidate I think can win, that's pretty much statistically the incumbent. And it's generally going to be an older, whiter male person. I think 80% of elected officials in this country are in that you know demographic, which is definitely not reflective of the population. And it's also going to be the candidate who's raised the most money. It's going to be the candidate with the name recognition. So anytime we have a voting method where you really need to strategically think, 
not about which candidate do I like, whose values do I agree with, who do I think is qualified for the job, but I have to think about who can win. You're just really setting up society for a race to the bottom and to definitely entrench systemic um, disparities across the board. That's what I'm talking about when I, I get back to this permaculture design mindset of this is a systems design problem. Why do we have massive disparities in representation? Why do we see elected officials in a lot of cases who nobody likes winning over and over and over? Or, or maybe they're doing fine, but they're not what we really want. And so um, this is a Scantron format. Is it always like that? Yeah. Um, well, in practice, elections pretty much use a Scantron kind of ballot, and that's really simple and easy to officiate. But star voting can be implemented any which way, honestly. That's one of the pros of it is it's so adaptable. So it's just addition in two steps. You're adding up the stars, then you're adding up the votes. So you can do that by hand count. You can do it with tallies. You can do it with an abacus if you want to. But we like the, the paper ballots here in Oregon. And I think for election security, they're really good and a strong option. So I recommend paper ballots and the Scantron and and then you can do manual risk limiting audits and all that kind of thing. But for people who, um, you know, vote on a digital interface, star voting works fine for that too. Um, for people doing online elections for the People's Party or for their own groups, we've got a tool for that, star.vote. So you can go there right now and create a poll and fill it out. And then we've got options for more secure features too. If you want credentialing, you can um, add in all sorts of features. You can have candidate bios and photos and all the bells and whistles. Mm, so as far as this is concerned, is straw voting, where is it actually implemented in the United States, for instance, um, this kind of a method? Yeah. So again, we're star voting in its current form is is new. It was invented in 2014. And so we've successfully gotten it implemented in a number of jurisdictions for for political party elections, internal elections, and for organizations across the board and across the political spectrum. So we've got Multnomah County Democratic Party is using it. The Independent Party of Oregon used it statewide for its primary. And the Oregon Democratic Party statewide used star voting to elect our presidential delegates to the national convention in 2020, which was an awesome pilot and use case. But in terms of real municipal elections, that's really what we're working on is to try and get it passed by a city or a county first and then scale it up for statewide elections. So in Oregon, where I am, we have a new ballot initiative that we just filed for star voting for city of Eugene elections. And um, it's not our first rodeo with this ballot initiative. We actually did a countywide version of the same thing in 2018 and got 48% of the vote countywide with almost no money. 
spent. It was like a volunteer effort. It was scrappy. Nobody had any experience at that time. I know I didn't, but we almost won and people were really receptive. And when we looked at the local data, Eugene voters had voted yes by a strong majority. So that's why we're um, back in the saddle post-pandemic, hopefully trying to get back out there and talk to people again, get the signatures and get it adopted here first. I was looking at this um, when you had the Scantron up and it seems like this would avoid any confusion because you know, just like you have all these like controversies with the local elections and the way the mainstream media likes to highlight certain races over the other ones, like the other ones aren't important. Like these are the ones you need to focus on. And then mm -hmm. the, you always have these um, thresholds, like if you don't hit 50%. And to me, it's like you avoid all this confusion. I don't even see how you would have a tie really um, in this kind of a situation because you basically have a process where you show um, zero through five. And it's always, is it always five candidates? Like, is that usually the case? No. Um, so star voting works great for any number of candidates. Um, five is, is just a nice, simple looking ballot for a graphic there. But okay. for star voting, for star voting for Eugene, our ballot initiative, what we recommend is just skipping the primary altogether and just having one general election. So that could be you know, six candidates, seven candidates here, we often have like three or four, but that is one of the real reasons that I think we need star voting over other alternative voting methods is because it does really perform fantastically with a larger field of candidates. And there's a lot of statistical analysis that's gone into measuring that and confirming it. But ultimately, by empowering voters to support as many candidates as they like to, to show that they support all the candidates on their side over candidates that they really oppose. It allows you to get just a really representative, reflective winner, even with a large field of candidates. And um, you say that there's been pretty much like strong reception in a positive direction when you um, present this, has there been any um, opposition to this? And do you see any cons to this system? Because I, I definitely see the pros. Um, are there any possible cons or areas you think that could be worked on? Yeah, um, there are definitely pros and cons to any voting method. There's no perfect method. And that is something that's said over and over by voting theorists. There's no perfect voting method. And it's been proven that no voting method can um, pass every single desirable criteria. But I think in a lot of modern electoral science leaders think that that mindset has actually kind of set us back as a movement. Because yes, there's no perfect system, but that doesn't mean that we can't have good things. We, there are a lot of desirable criteria. Um, for instance, I want to be able to honestly vote for my favorite. I want to be able to give my favorite five stars. Um, I also want to be able to show support for other candidates, my second choice, third choice, fourth choice, or whatever. But 
it's impossible to design a voting method that guarantees that it's always safe to do both. And we're getting wonky here. But um, the takeaway is that what we want to do is maximize both of those criteria because they're kind of inversely correlated. So instead of trying to just pass one and disregard the other, we can say, hey, these are both important considerations. And how do we incentivize a system that can do well at both? So with star voting, it um, in practice, you should always give your favorite five stars. You should always support your honest favorite. And in, and you should show your preference order, you should show your degree of support because no matter who those two finalists are that make it to the runoff, you want your ballot to show, you know, I prefer Carmen over Ella or I prefer, um, you know, Andre over Blake. So star voting, it's just really designed to incentivize the voter behavior that we wanna see and to collect really fantastic data from voters so that the system itself can make a good informed decision that reflects the will of the people. That second um, step, so you have the first step, which is just the, the ratings um, from zero to five. And when you get to the final stage, is it always down to two people? Right. It's always down to two people. It is. And and I'd love to to kind of get into why that is. Yeah, why is that? <laughs> so when we have two options, um, yes, no, um, left, right, uh, Blake, Ella, we always will have a majority preferred option if people can vote for one only. And so that is really powerful in in our current system with choose one voting um plurality voting first past the post whatever you call it it has too many names it's like voldemort so we call it choose one voting <laughs> to be clear and simple but um yeah so with choose one voting it works great if there's two candidates in the race but anytime that there's three candidates four candidates five candidates we run the risk of splitting the vote not being able to show that we support the candidates on our side and ending up divided and conquered again. So strategically that sets voters up to support the front runner on their side um, to prevent wasting their vote. And I think I already kind of said some of this, but the, the takeaway is that having a top two runoff is really powerful because it guarantees a majority winner to the extent possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, majority, I think, is a really common sense concept that people want in democracy, and it, it makes a big difference. We want broad consensus candidates, of course, like, and that's what the score voting phase gets you. But we also want a candidate who is supported by a majority of the people and definitely not a candidate <clears throat> like we can have with our current system who's opposed by a majority of the people. So that top two runoff guarantees that. And the magic of star voting is we don't have to have a top two runoff second election. It's built right in, your ballot already shows who you prefer. So that saves a lot of time and money to not have to vote twice. 
but you still get that majority winner. <clears throat> I do like that um, where it's just very clear cut. You don't even need the primaries um, with this situation. Um, but something you just said then was interesting about, um, is, to me, I still have to struggle with the psychology of the voter because um, is that necessarily true to that even even under the straw method that that the candidate would still be the popular candidate um, would it still would that person still represent the majority because we're still I think operating under the mindset of how the average voter is I mean hmm. I mean the system we've had now that we've been accustomed to our lifetimes I, it just I don't know the psychology of the voter is really interesting and I think even then it's like, I don't know if, because you seem to emphasize like a lot on just um, the data that comes back um, after you do, which I definitely agree. I can see the usefulness of all the feedback you get just from this method alone. Mm -hmm. But um, would it be able to measure like the actual reasons as to why people are gravitating towards that candidate? Um, I guess, I guess that's the thing. I think it presupposes that whoever is voting is like a responsible voter. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that that's just kind of the way I see it. Like, I think it kind of presupposes that these people are just well-rounded voters to begin with. Well, it, it depends. Like, and obviously democracy is only as good as its voters. So if you have a bunch of people who are wrong, you're going to get a bad outcome. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but what, so what we can do, as, as people picking a voting method is pick a method that's going to incentivize and empower voters to be the best that they can be. So with the current system, if you don't think any of the front runners represent you, there's really no point in researching other options um, because it's not safe to vote for candidates who aren't viable. Um, you know, if, if you're trying to actually get a more representative winner. And so that's a really negative feedback loop. What we see is over time, people only pay attention to the front runners who they think can already win. And there's no real incentive to learn about other candidates. Um, definitely not an incentive to join other political parties or even consider them. And that sets us up to not hear out the other side. So I think in a lot of cases, there might be a better, you know, consensus supported public opinion. You know, there are a lot of things that I think across the political spectrum, we can all agree on. We care about, you know, kids, we care about families, we care about, you know, our home and our environment. And hopefully we want to see everyone's needs met and those kinds of things. But our current system doesn't set us up to find common ground. It sets us up to demonize the other that's the strategy to win. And so that's the behavior that we see play out. So changing the incentives, I think, can create more positive campaigns, but also can create more empowered, inspired voters. Mm -hmm. And and I guess, the so the ideal voter behavior in star voting is for voters to score all the candidates, um, honestly, to the best of their knowledge, but if a voter doesn't know about a candidate, doesn't like them, they can absolutely leave them blank. 
ultimately it's on the candidate to reach out to the voter and convince them to support them at all. So there's nothing wrong with not supporting a candidate you don't know about or that you don't, um, that just hasn't resonated with you. And so if you want to just vote for your favorite and move on with your day, you're a busy person with star voting, you can absolutely do that. But if you do have a more nuanced opinion, you can express that. So I think a lot of people find that really intuitively inspiring and empowering and people get really excited about star voting for that reason. I think a lot of people feel shut out of the current system and they feel like their vote isn't going to make a difference. So why put in the work? So the idea that you could have a system that um, that empowers voters, whether or not they're a major party voter or a minor party voter or a non-voter, um, this is a way that you can express yourself and have your voice heard. And people have opinions. We want we want to have a voice, and we definitely want accountability. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very important uh, observation and, and distinction you made when you mentioned the psychology part. Because even before we got into that, before I questioned about that, you already brought it up. And um, behavior is a really important thing when we talk about voting. I mean, I, personally, I don't believe we live under a democracy um, precisely for these reasons, because we don't have the nuanced um, features in. And you could ideally, under any system, even if it's a well-meaning system, you could just check your first option and that's it. But what you've told me is that I think that the voter is just going to gain so much knowledge just because this system is going to incentivize people to look into the candidates more. It's not going to be just such a, a binary type of um, mentality. And so I think you will have a more smart voter. You will have a more intelligent voter, a more informed voter, just because this um, psychology has already been sort of reconfigured into their minds and they don't have those, I guess, lazy habits as they used to because I was looking at, um, and however people feel about the 2020 election, I mean, I'm not even going to get into how much of a show that was. I mean, and the ones before all these national elections. Um, but they're just like, there were stories of people in Georgia just checking Biden only and, and not even checking people down ballot at all. I mean, that kind of mentality, that kind of, um, I guess recklessness, laziness, whatever. I can't tell those people how to vote, but I think we definitely need a cultural change when it comes to the system we um, use. And we definitely need to um, implement a star voting system. I think it, nationwide, even now, not just local and state, I want to kind of get your view on that. What do you think about, um, do you think this is more effective just overall, regardless of the jurisdiction? Um, how do you see that? Yeah, and and that's really what ultimately convinced me to switch from supporting ranked choice voting to star voting for society as a whole. Um, again, my my first cause was um, you know the environment, animal rights, social justice, and there was no point in my childhood where I was like, I really care about voting science. Um, <laughs> you know, there there are more fun and important and like again triage like there are there's a bleeding edge in society right now and we need to fix these problems at the local level at the national level at the international level immediately 
So we need a system that's going to work across the board and voter education is hard. So we don't have time to adopt a system that works in some cases, but doesn't work in others. Star voting, um, I kind of already explained our star voting for Eugene proposal where we just skip the primary and we have one general election that gets a representative winner. But star voting can be used with primaries as well. And we have a statewide ballot initiative for Oregon that basically keeps everything else the same wherever possible, but um, would adopt star voting statewide for all offices from local, statewide, and federal presidential. The way that would work is for nonpartisan elections, as the default, we would skip the primary, just have all the candidates in the general election and get a winner. But for partisan elections, each party could have a star voting primary that advances their best candidate to the general election. And then you get um, kind of like a top five or top five-ish candidates in the general, and you have a general election with no vote splitting. You can show your support and degree of support for all those candidates and you get a representative winner. So I think the fact that star voting really works well across the board um, it works well for single winner. It works well for multi-winner. There's proportional representation um, versions of star voting as well. And they all have the exact same voter experience. All you have to do is your part, which is learn about your candidates, fill out your ballot, turn it in. Ranked choice voting just um, really does not scale well at all. Can, can you expand on that some? I know you probably want to say more about it, I, and and I'm glad that we're doing this because I don't want to go into ranked choice like a lot because I've already had someone on like Denier Oricondi came on and we talked about ranked choice voting um, with his organization. But um, like, what what do you, exactly do you mean by your last comment? Yeah, so with ranked choice voting, the way it works is tournament style elimination rounds where your vote transfers if your favorite is eliminated, but there's a lot of cases where um, where your next choice candidate might be gone already, or for people whose favorite hangs on until the end of the election, the race will be called, your favorite didn't win, but your next choice is never counted. So I think what I didn't realize for a long time is that most of the rankings on a ranked choice ballot are never ever counted. And in each round, only one of your rankings, if any, is counted. So in any round, you can have vote splitting, you can have the spoiler effect. Mm. And then the, the fallout of the fact that you're only counting some of the ballot data is that um, you have to actually centralize the ballots. You have to have all the ballots in hand. You have to have them in one place. Um, physically or digitally, in order to know what candidate got the least first choice votes, who's who are we going to eliminate, and which next choice votes are going to get counted. So the fact that we're just not counting all the data means that we have to centralize the ballots. So in, in a county that uses ranked choice voting, that's fine. It's like we tally ballots at the county level generally around this country. But at a statewide level, 
like for instance, the state of Maine, they physically truck all the ranked choice ballots to a central location. So that compromises chain of custody and it causes massive delays and definitely impacts transparency of the election. And we've actually seen two major elections, one in New York City and one in California and Bay Area, where they mishallied the votes and didn't notice. Mm -hmm. So those are absolutely preventable problems. And luckily, most states actually have laws that require local tabulation of ballots, because that's a common sense good idea. And star voting, approval voting, uh, rank robin, even our current system works great for local tabulation of ballots. Um, so that's not something we need to compromise on. We can have simple, secure elections that are counted with addition and that have immediate results that come out on election night um, and have voter confidence in those results. That's not something that we need to give up with alternative voting. And um, this is a question that just kind of came up just without the conversation, I guess, without the, the outside of the context of the conversation. And then I had two or three questions that I actually had prepared. I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but and but people know I kind of like that, you know, like free thinkers forum. But I'm just thinking, is, is there a deliberate, I guess, undertone when it comes to voter psychology and and elect and electability and all these aspects that we talk about because you refer to election science, which which I've really never heard of. Um, talk about like that before. I didn't know that was a thing that there was like its own discipline. But um, do you think that this system inherently kind of um, makes it more confusing because telling a vote shouldn't be a hard thing. Um, but you have described a couple of examples and um. Uh, like I said, I mean, we can refer to other instances where there was just so much like taking like days to count votes and stuff. And you would think that that be, would be yeah. such an easy thing to accomplish. Do you think that that's done deliberately um, just over time? And why haven't there been attempts, I guess, to change that like previously? That's a big question. Um, and I have a, a lot to say on that topic. Obviously, there's no way to know what people's intentions are. So I, I try to stick to what I do know. But in the two cases where ranked choice voting was mistallied in New York City, they accidentally added 135,000 test ballots to the official count. And it was actually the candidate who was the front runner who said, this doesn't add up to my exit polling. That's looks like you have extra voters in there. And they double checked and it was actually a bank error in his favor. So props to him for touching it. And he ended up winning anyway. Otherwise that controversy would have been way bigger. Um, you know, so I do think that was a mistake in terms of the tally. And it happened because ranked choice voting for election officials is just very convoluted. And because you're centralizing the data, you can't really check your work as you go. I know for me, I'm I'm not fantastic at computation. I, I like to check my work if I'm doing a longer problem. <laughs> and with ranked choice, that's just practically not 
doable in the same way that it would be. And then in Alameda County, what they did is they actually did the ranked choice voting steps in the wrong order. So they didn't transfer all of the votes before eliminating the candidate, and then they transferred the votes. And so they eliminated candidates in the wrong order. And in one case, seated and elected and certified a wrong winner. And that was just recently resolved in the courts, but they didn't even notice until 50 days after the election that, and they had done that in every single ranked choice race, not just the one where the result flipped. It just happened to only change the winner in one case. But looking at the details of that, it's pretty clear that was an accident. That's a coding error. But again, humans are not perfect. And we need a system where it's transparent enough that I can check your work, you can check mine. We have checks and balances. We have some redundancy built in. So in terms of do I think it was actually election fraud in the case of these two ranked choice voting elections? Absolutely not. But I... When we look at the bigger landscape of who's throwing around money in the election reform space, um, Fair Vote in particular is the group behind ranked choice voting. And they have a many, many multi, multi-million dollar lobby that spends a ton of money, you know, in any state that they're working. So Nevada recently passed ranked choice voting, and I think they spent something like $22 million on that win. Um, in Oregon, there's massive money coming in for ranked choice voting, even though star voting actually officially coalitioned with ranked choice voting Oregon and represent us and, um, and a bunch of these groups, honest elections, um, back in 2016, we decided, Hey, let's, let's do this process. I think I led with the story where we had the research committee, we had a, an election, we voted what voting reform do we want to go forward with? And we chose star voting because it was the only one that delivered on our goals. But for activists in this space, they can either go with a new method that's unfunded or underfunded, and you can donate to star voting and starvoting.org. But... <laughs> But there's a big temptation for activists who are saying, you know, I don't really know the difference between these two methods. How bad could ranked choice really be? Even though I prefer star voting, let's go with the one that fair vote's going to send us a big check for our campaign. And then when we get even more concerning, a lot of the money, so ranked choice voting um, on a paper ballot is if you have 20 candidates, which Portland often has 20 candidates for city council for mayor, um, you if you have a ballot that's allowing you to rank like 20 people, that's unwieldy um, and kind of impossible. And ranking larger numbers of candidates is easier on an online format. So a lot of places that have used it use online voting or, um, or a like digital voter interface or something like that. And there's massive money coming in to lobby for ranked choice voting that's lobbying for online voting or um, electronic voting. Uh, hopefully not connected to the internet, but right. <laughs> I think that raises massive concerns for anyone who's an election security advocate, which all of us should be. 
So, you know, we've got a system that works best for e-voting. We've got a system that requires centralization of all the data to a single point of failure. Um, and where catching errors or catching voter fraud becomes a lot harder. And then you add that to, you know, a military superpower that is absolutely, you know, our elections are not just important for our country. Um, we've got, you know, a industrial military superpower that has a massive influence all over the world in elections everywhere else. And so there's a lot of outside reasons to have American elections be less secure or more easier to manipulate. So yeah, I think a lot of those things are deal breakers. And ranked choice voting, to its credit, it, it mitigates vote splitting in the spoiler effect. It gives voters more choice. I think it better incentivizes voters to vote their conscience. It's not voting your conscience can really backfire badly in ranked choice voting, but like on average, it's better than our current system. But a lot of these things, especially in terms of election security, are just absolute deal breakers, especially at scale. Are there any attempts to coalition build, or have there been attempts to coalition build between? ranked choice advocates and star voting advocates. Um, it sounds like a lot of what you're saying, um, I don't know if there could be collaborative possibilities, but just, um, I guess I want to hear from you as far as that's concerned. Yeah, that's really our top priority. And I think um, my story isn't unique. Most people who support star voting came to voting reform and heard about ranked choice first. So pretty much all of us are, um, you know, were at one time advocates of another voting method, whether it be ranked choice or approval voting. And a lot of people support multiple good methods. There's, there's more than one way to skin a cat. But in terms of coalition building, that's our foundation. We're the equal vote coalition. So we're not going to do this alone. And our focus has really been on reaching out to groups where people are politically active, groups where people are working on um, any type of cause, because voting reform is kind of the first step to being effective on every other issue we care about. So in terms of bringing on people, I think we've done an amazing job. In terms of bringing on larger organizations, that again is where the pragmatics of money and politics come in because for an organization that's trying to get something done they kind of want to bet on a winner and ranked choice again has millions and millions of dollars that they're spending in multiple states all around the country all the time so it's hard to compete with that and so what we're hearing from a lot of groups behind the scenes um including ranked choice voting leaders in um, in a lot of spaces. And I guess I won't call them out by name. I'm tempted to do so. But yeah. what we hear is that people <laughs> prefer star voting. We've actually won that, that dialogue in a lot of cases among people who have looked at both. 
people generally prefer star voting. It's kind of a one-way street. Once you find out about star and do your homework, you just get more and more excited about it. Mm -hmm. So for us, that's the incentive is like, bring everybody on board make sure everybody knows about this because when they do learn about it, they like it. Um, for them, the incentive is like, let's make sure they've never heard of star voting. Let's make sure they don't have a seat at the table because, um, because people do, you know, switch mm -hmm. or a lot of people support both and that's fine too. So awesome. pragmatically at the moment where we get star voting passed in Eugene or in Oregon or in whatever municipality passes this first, that calculus is really going to change and people are going to start believing not only is this the best system, but we can actually have what we need in terms of fair, good elections. And that's going to be a game changer moment for the movement as a whole. Is Equal Vote one of its kind? Is it a one of a kind um, group organization? Or are there other groups doing this or is equal vote like the exclusive? Um, both. So there's three big groups in this country working on voting method reform. There's Fair Vote that's working on ranked choice voting, and they have a bunch of. It's a bit of a shell game. They have a, a bunch of organizations affiliated, but they all act as one, in a lot of cases. Um, and then there's the Center for Election Science which um, historically their mission statement was to support um, score voting family of voting methods, which should include star voting, but it um, they pragmatically just really work on approval voting and educate and advocate for approval voting, which I haven't mentioned yet, but it's a very simple reform that is actually does a lot better than it seems like it would. So props to approval voting and, and the work they're doing at Center for Election Science. And then there's us at Equal Vote. And when we were founded, Center for Election Science had a more inclusive mission to support, you know, if, like multiple good methods that pass their criteria. And so we kind of at being a new organization really focused on star voting because that's our preferred method. But as Center for Election Science moved towards only telling people about approval voting and really kind of shoving other methods under the rug that, that are maybe sexier or more go a little further, um, that was when we as Equal Vote decided hey, we've been growing. And, and again, people who learn about multiple voting methods, the more you learn, the more you like it. So we don't have anything to lose by saying approval voting is a really good method too. You should consider it. Um, for people who liked ranked ballots, um, rank Robin, which is like a Condorcet family of voting methods type thing where you rank all the candidates, but you actually count all the rankings. That works great too. And there are reasons that we prefer star voting, but we would support a number of options. So we really at Equal Vote focus on educating people, giving them the information so that they can make their own decisions. Interesting. Yeah, I think that really stood out. I didn't realize the 
the backing, the financial backing with um I had looked on the site, I think it was like Rank Vote is what it is with Vinay's um organization and they're like some big like they're people like associated with the NBA and like all these sports teams that are like funding um the projects and so no and, and someone like myself I'm naturally probably going to gravitate more towards something where money isn't as involved um where you just take it the merits at face value you know and just kind of go from there based on its own merits it doesn't need all this other stuff to sort of muddle the waters yeah it it's tricky and I I get it because as an activist if you can be funded, you can focus on the work. Um, so, you know, props to anyone who is an activist out there who's gotten their project funded. But the key is to not let the money drive the policy. So when you're saying, you know, I like star voting better, but ranked choice voting will pay me if I work on that one instead, that's a problem. And that is really what we're seeing in the electoral reform landscape. So in terms of are we the only one organization like our, us in the movement, we're definitely the underdogs in terms of, um, you know, not being big money funded. But our ethos towards organizing is also unique in this landscape, I think. So Equal Vote Coalition is, um, I'm the executive director, so we've got actually women in leadership. Our chair is also a woman. And I think we've got a really diverse board of directors um, in terms of gender, age, race. Um, and also we've tried to have really good ideological diversity on our board of directors. So we have people who really support single winner um, implementation and people who are strong proportional representation, multi-winner advocates. We have people who are approval voting advocates and star voting advocates and rank robin advocates. So no matter what type of ballot you want, if you're like, no, the ballot should be as simple as possible, or, you know, I'm from the Bay Area and we've always had ranked ballots, so we don't want to switch to a different type of ballot just because our tabulation's not working. Um, you know, I think we want to have that diversity of options and diversity of perspectives at the table. And so in terms of inclusivity in the movement, that is something that I think when I first got involved, there's there's kind of the advocacy side of voting reform of people who are working on trying to get stuff passed. And that is more diverse and has been for a while. But once you get to the science side of the movement, that I was the only woman at all. Mm. Um, and I think pretty much there was just no diversity whatsoever. And it was a pretty hostile, condescending space in which people are speaking with acronyms and jargon, and they're not gonna take the time to bring people up to speed. They're not trying to, um, you know, they just didn't have the culture of sharing what they know. And they didn't have the skills to share what they knew either. So I think election science as a movement, uh, social choice theory, has been kind of doing incredible, brilliant work in these small little niche communities 
but that work hasn't been making it to the ad advocacy space at all. So there was a big silo and a big disconnect. So for me personally, a big part of my mission doing this work has been to bridge that divide, to take this election science and figure out how can we talk about it? How can we share it? And how can we make sure that the people doing the work have this information from the scientific community and vice versa? The scientific community, they have great answers, but they often are completely out of touch about what questions they should even be asking. And they often have big blind spots in terms of considerations that are really important, like mm -hmm. voter opinion or voter behavior or messaging, or, you know, if we could design a perfect voting method that was like, you know, um, a giant equation that I would write across the wall behind me, you know, and it delivered perfect outcomes, would that be good? No, because we need election security. We need transparency. We need voters to understand the method and be able to use it. So, um, so I think at the Equal Vote Coalition, a big part of our job is bridging that divide between the science and the people and between the science and the advocacy, um, creating a more welcoming, inclusive space for people who want to get involved and get inspired and make a difference, um, helping give people tools to do that. We've got presentation toolkits and tabling toolkits and mini zines that people can pass out and just a lot of ways to make it fun and accessible. So I hope that that's catching on and that other groups will, will start doing that as well. But we're definitely, it's, it's hard work and it needs to be done. And unfortunately we get a lot of pushback just for that. I tell you what, um, we definitely want to have you, to have you back on for season three. And I think it would be neat for the audience to kind of go, maybe we could use a couple of elections for examples, just, to sort of show the store voting method, you know, how easy it is, you know, to see how transparent the process is and how effective and efficient it is as far as, and maybe gauging the voter's mind into those decisions. I think that would be kind of a cool exercise um, if you all are very open to, you know, coming back onto Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. Yeah, I'd love to come back anytime. This has been fun. It has, definitely. And um, Sarah Walk, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Um, with Equal Vote Coalition, the executive director, I want you to, uh, I guess, answer where can my audience reach you in case they had a question or a comment? What would be the most effective way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so we've got two websites. The Equal Vote Coalition is our nonprofit, 501c3. And the website for that is equal.vote. And then we've got the Star Voting website, which is starvoting.org. And at both of those websites, there's contact information. There's a join or sign up link where you can click it, um, sign up for our email blasts, get looped in, um, come to our events. We have monthly meetings and happy hours and different stuff online and in person. So definitely those are the two websites. If you wanna actually email us directly, uh, info at equal.vote 
we'll get you through to our leadership team. And we would love to hear from you if you want to build this coalition or get involved or get a presentation or, um, or endorse us. That'd be great. So encourage everyone watching to reach out and definitely reach out if you want to try out star voting for your own organization. So um, you mentioned People's Party of Texas. Um, I think they might actually use star voting for their own internal elections already. There's a lot of groups that do, but that kind of thing is really powerful. And once people use it, it pretty much answers all their questions. So definitely if you have any decision to make, whether it be what movie should we watch tonight or where should we go on family reunion, um, use star voting and star dot vote is the website to do that or the easiest way to do it. If you want a more secure election with more features, check out starvoting.org in the elections tab and we've got options for you, but we'll consult and it's all free. So we have a lot of resources available. I will encourage my audience to also check out your YouTube channel. I've, I kind of get obsessed at times, like when I go like, and I find these rabbit holes and just, I find information I just love, but your videos are so like interactive and graphic. Um, and I think it's a great way to learn. And so I'm definitely gonna link that into the description as well, just so people have that in the back of their minds. And um, again, we had a great time talking with you today, Sarah, and we can't wait to have you back on for season three. Awesome. Yeah. So just on that YouTube channel really quick, I have to give props to our volunteers because like I said, we're um, have always been pretty underfunded and all of our videos were made by our volunteers who just got inspired and had something that they wanted to share. So we just did three new videos in a row. Um, one of them is a fantastic stop motion animation um, that goes over a simple election with the current system, with ranked choice voting, with star voting, and gets a different winner all three times. So that really illustrates like the different types of outcomes we see with our voting methods. And then our Spanish speaking supporters put together a really fantastic new video, Como Funciona Votación Estrella, that I'm in love with, that's super cute and well animated and just clear and simple. So that's a huge one. And then we got a new video as well on the equal.vote homepage that tells the story of what is an equal vote, ties that into one person, one vote, the Supreme Court. And we actually have a really strong foundation for raising the bar for what it means to have fair elections. So yeah, thanks for, for that. And I just got to give props to our three volunteers who spearheaded those three videos and the ones before it too. Yes, very creative and 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 wonderful um, YouTube channel. Like I said, I have to check out all your other websites as well. And I will link all the information into the description. This is a wonderful episode 49 with Sarah Walk um, based in Eugene, Oregon. And episode 50 is actually going to be my dad um, to close out season two of Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I just want to say thank you to all the subscribers. You can subscribe for free on our YouTube channel. Like we have a, the videos on and we have um, all the Spotify, any of the podcasts and platforms of your choice. 
we're available there. So um, rate and like, tell your friends and family. There's something here for everybody. Um, we just got a new sponsor yesterday, Spotify for Podcasters. And so um, we're just really fortunate because um, this is an educational forum, public service, really. I haven't accepted $1 um, from donations or anything like that. I mean, it's always optional. Like, if you want to, sure, that's fine. But um, it's really just to get the information out there and just to make the public more informed. Um, I think our society is fine if you like TikTok, but you can like TikTok and watch star voting videos while you're doing it, you know, or you may be watching um, Equal Vote Coalition on TikTok. But I just think that we need to sort of um, reconfigure and, and, and show how important this is. Um, if we're going to say that voting is important, we need to show that it's important. And I think that um, your organization is doing a great job of, of showing that possibility. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks for creating this awesome platform and sharing it with us and for all the work you're doing. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And uh, beautiful people, enjoy the rest of your day. And we'll talk soon.